Test, test, is this thing on? Yeah, it's on, it's on, okay. Imagine with me 1970s to 1980s Australia. You go to a psychiatrist complaining from your depression, stress and anxiety, things that have just come to you from your daily life. And then your psychiatrist prescribes to you a bunch of pills. And then you feel a bit worried that you're getting prescribed pills on your second session to your first session. But then the psychiatrist tells you it's fine, it's normal procedure, it works with other patients, don't worry about it. And then you proceed to take the medication. Three sessions in, four sessions in, you start going to the sessions and sleeping. But then you wake, you leave the sessions feeling a bit better. By the seventh session, you don't wake up from your sleep. Hello, and welcome to the first pilot episode of The Blender. I'm your host, Capilano, a.k.a. Chutney. Now, most of the events in this story are real and true, but some of the details of some events have been omitted or added for entertainment purposes. But however, in the overall structure of the story, is real and true. Now, it really took a while thinking about what episode I'm going to do first. It's like It was really confusing. But I figured it out and I thought, like, yeah, this seems like a good one. And... This episode is going to talk about how the medical industry, especially the psychological industry, has taken a dramatic effect from helping people to actually misdiagnosing them, whether it be on purpose or whether it be just lack of information. Now, about the intro, as cruel and as gruesome it was, it is actually true. During the 1970s and 1980s, there was a psychiatrist in Australia called Harry Bailey. Now, Harry Bailey used to give his patients drugs that induced coma and LSD. And so that the patient would go in their sessions and sleep. And then they would just leave the session and so on and so forth. And no matter how long the session took. But what happened was 61 of his patients have died. And the rest who actually survived those medications lived a life filled with diseases and just didn't live a normal life. Now, why did Harry Bailey have the ability to do that? That's because there hasn't been really much governing or like much eyesight on the psychological industry, especially in terms of Australia. Like, Everything there is just upside down. And also because Harry took permissions from the government to supply to him LSD and it drug coma inducing drugs because he thought that the issues of the mind cannot be solved in the material world rather they should be resolved in the spiritual world where the mind is in control hence the coma and LSD you know it makes sense it sort of does I honestly see what he sees but like I'm not this is not talking about his point of view perspective. That's for another episode. Haha. <laughs> Foreshadowing. But yeah. That is what happened. Whether you believe he was right, whether you believe he was wrong, it's still a flaw in the psychological industry. Now, whether you're an avid fan of psychology or whether you are a pro in the terms of psychology, everybody knows about DSM. DSM, if you don't know what it is, is a handbook or a textbook that is made from psychiatrists to psychiatrists to other people as well to help diagnose psychological disorders. Now, as of now, there are five DSM versions. 
currently on DSM-5 TR, which is like revised edition or something, and they're working on the sixth version. But I would like to take it back to where it all started, DSM-1. For the sake of easiness, and ease and just for my sake and easiness, I'm just going to call the person who started DSM-1 as person A, psychiatrist A. Now this is back in the 1800s. Psychiatrist A thought that the psychological industry or like the psychiatric industry is sort of not united in terms of diagnostic diagnostics and symptoms like if psychiatrist x saw a certain person and he diagnosed them with certain disease another psychiatrist psychiatrist y would see the same person but he would see different sort of symptoms and he would come up with a different sort of disease to what that person has and so they both would have a different diagnosis for the same person prescribed different medication one would work one wouldn't or both wouldn't work because it's a diff like you get the idea that they were not unified in terms of this is equal to that and so person a wanted to create a sort of unified system of diagnosis and so what he did was he collected the studies of various like a tons and tons of psychologists psychiatrists from all over the globe and he started like a committee to sort of study these analysis like patient notes and diagnostic notes and medication history and stuff like that to see what medication worked with certain patient what diagnosis worked with certain patients and him being a psychiatrist himself sort of was able to like choose what symptom fits best for this and so he came up with DSM-1. Now you can guess DSM-1 was a fat, huge success, right? Because it sort of unified the industry. It made it simple. It made psychology simple. It made freshly graduates able to just use the book, see the symptoms in front of them. Easy, bam, that's it. Bob's your uncle, you know. It was really simple. And it made the current ones who were already working really ease their job and ease the process of them just looking at a patient every day and like analyz analyzing them and just it was helping a lot now dsm2 also came in the works because dsm1 was not perfect but dsm2 was not really a much huge massive success as dsm1 because um the jump from dsm1 to dsm2 in terms of advancement in terms of the industry was not as huge as DSM-1's. But it did fix a couple of issues that DSM-1 had and like tweaks and all that stuff and certain medications that were used to work and now they don't or medications that don't work but now they do. It sort of fixed that a little bit. Now keep in mind the time frame between DSM-1 and DSM-2 was like 40 years, 25 years, something of that sort. And person A sort of got old and tired and he just didn't have the, he just wanted to retire to be honest. And so, introduce young and inspiring person B. For the sake of, I didn't actually, person B. Now, person B was young, and he wanted to do a dent. He wanted to influence the psychological industry the same way A did. So, like I said, person A didn't do this on his own. He had like a whole committee and a whole bunch of psychiatrists under him that really said what is what and what is like did the whole analyzing and then the final word was still for person a and so person b had the same kind of authority 
the final word was for person B and the committee was under him and that person A was merely supervision in terms of critical stuff. But he was available whenever person B got stuck and needed supervision. So on. So the actual helm of the ship was being led by person B. Now, whether person B did this on purpose or whether person B did it to advance the human psychology, whatever, DSM-3, which is the DSM he worked on, was a massive profit, whether in terms of lucrative profit, whether in terms of advancement in the psychological department. Now, we don't know which part he played on because one happened and then the other one followed, but we're not really sure why he did what he did. But here's what he did. Now, keep in mind, DSM-1 and DSM-2 worked on something called clinical symptoms. What clinical symptoms is, is that a patient enters your clinic or your hospital and then you see the certain symptoms that he is displaying in front of you or the certain symptoms that his family or his relatives or or are telling you. Now, these are symptoms that you have seen by yourself, right? That's why they're called clinical symptoms. DSM-3 sort of wanted to take a step at like wanted to take a step away and a step further. So it started analyzing non-clinical symptoms. Stuff that you do on your regular day-to-day basis that could be an indication of a certain mental disorder. Now, was it always right? Was it always wrong? There's no certain way to do it, but if you have something and you think everyone has it, chances are it's a disorder. You can't focus right when you wake up You guessed it, it's a disorder. You feel like a bit tired when you wake up and you don't have coffee? Induced caffeine disorder. Hmm, you can't focus on ruining your homework and stuff? Hmm, that is also a disorder. You kind of feel bad asking your mom to do your math homework because she's bad at math and you don't want to put her through it? That's called parental relationship disorder. Mm-hmm. Yep, so there's ev- there's a disorder for every single thing that happens in your life. Now, person B, I don't know if he did this on purpose again, I repeat, but he sort of, DSM-3 sort of plays on the key of human sense of belonging. Because he's, we as humans love to belong to something that's much bigger, much greater. We love to be part of bigger things. We love to be, you know, we have to, we love to have the sense of feeling that we are just solos. We aren't just specks of dust floating around. That we are actually a part of a vast majority of a desert doing something. Now, this is why communities exist. This is why people do what they do, you know. This is why people lie because they want to belong to a certain group of people. Or they don't want to be associated with a certain group of people. This is why people do what they do. Now, if you say that, oh, I do not want to be, I do not belong with the other humans, I'll tell you something. The form of human belonging can work both ways because it's a certain group of people that has influenced your action towards them or away from them. That action is still influenced by a group of people. Now, whether if it's away from them, you still belong into a group that likes to belong away from this group, from this group, you know what I'm saying? Like... A certain, let's say, a certain rock band is doing something. And you don't like this rock band. 
Now you're gonna find another rock band that you like, right? Now rock band has the first initial rock band has influenced your actions into doing another action that made you belong to another group. That still is part of the human sense of belonging. Now why do people work every day? Because they don't want to belong with the broke people. And so every human likes to belong into something bigger, something huge. And due to that fact, due to that specific thing of human sense of belonging, DSM-3 became a massive success. Like, I'm talking more massive than DSM-1 and DSM-2. Because DSM-1 and DSM-2, they were limited to psychiatrists and people who understood what kind of language DSM-1 and DSM-2 spoke in, right? DSM-3 was made in such a way that everyone and their mother literally can understand what the t- what the book is and what the symptoms are and what the diagnosis what the diagnosis is so dsm3 was made available to the public what happens when you provide the public with such a vast amount of information you guessed it they form communities they form groups and they form like you get a weird human thing whatever but you had mothers diagnosing their children with autism, a a whole bunch of diseases that not really should be happening. And so, this is where the proper misdiagnosing kicks in. Let's say you're 20 years old, you're going through a tough time of your life. You think, oh, I should go to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrists see you they see a certain symptoms in you, and then they diagnose you with PTSD, depression, and anxiety, the whole run-of-the-mill stuff. I don't think anybody these days doesn't have depression, anxiety, and and I'm not saying mental illness is not real. I'm saying it is, and it really happens quick because, like, it hap- it used like back in the day, people used to get mental illness and used to get stuff like that further ahead of their time in their 25s and their 30s and stuff on but because of the technological technological advancements like everything nowadays is just so quick you know you want something you get it so quick it just happens by the snap of a finger and so i think that quickness that rapidness has made made the terms of mental illness and mental disorders and mental suffering it's heavy words but it is what it is happen quicker happen during 16s and 17s now while i agree you do experience some sort of mental growth during your early days of your life that doesn't mean okay how do i put this let's say there's a veteran who has been to war who has seen things who has experienced things and then he gets diagnosed with ptsd depression and all bombshell disorder and stuff like that. He gets diagnosed with a whole list of disorders. And then here comes a person, 22 years old, who had a minor or let's say some incidents in his childhood or some incidents in his recent life. And he also gets diagnosed with PTSD and a plethora of diseases as well. Can you really say that what the person, the veteran has been through is similar to what the current 22-year-old has been through? No. However, they both have the same diagnosis and they both have the same medication. 
it's not really fair for the veteran to be diagnosed, to be really taking the same medication as a 22-year-old who's going through a tough life. It's not fair for the 22-year-old to take the same medication as someone who has experienced, obviously, a lot. And so this is where it has begun from the fact of trying to help the people, trying to diagnose them properly, trying to treat them properly, and into the sort of big pharma, if I fucking say it, but pharma or pharmaceutical companies really trying to sell their product. And when it comes to mental disorders and psychological disorders, it's a very unknown, vast world. Like, because it's unknown, people will believe what they're fed. So if someone says, oh, you have this, you have that, and due to the lack of information in terms of humanity, they're going to believe what the psychiatrists say. And so the psychiatrist, along with the company that produces the medication for that drug, they make a shit ton of money. And so you can see where this is easily can turn from helping to money in a second, in a blink of an eye. And that's why, like I said, we don't know if person B, the creator of DSM-3, did this on purpose. Or was it a fluke that happened due to him trying to help by analyzing non-clinical symptoms and non-clinical evidences and cues? But what we do know is it happened again with DSM-4 and it happened again with DSM-5. They started breaking down more mundane tasks and started lumping up into a single thing. This is why autism is now a spectrum. Because now it has a wide range of, of, of symptoms, of, of indications, of cues that has started since DSM-1. The entire reason DSM-1 was created was because of autism. Because autism was really hard to diagnose. And so in DSM-5, now we have 300 or so pages worth of symptoms and diagnostics for for fucking autism and all of this sort of expand like the exponential growth sort of started happening since dsm-3 so dsm-3 is really the key ingredient of this cake this is the reason why you're currently these days you're either being misdiagnosed whether it be on purpose so that the psychiatrist can sell a medicine or whether it be because the psychiatrist was given DSM-3 and he didn't bother to actually analyze you and didn't bother to actually care about you. So whether he diagnosed you due to lack of information or purposely misdiagnosed you, he did give you a medication that is going to benefit another company. And you can see this very clearly. Like if you don't think it is true, you can see this very clearly when it happened with the COVID-19. When the companies were... were every company made its own vaccine every com- country made its own vaccine and it was basically it's not a matter of trying to help the people it was a matter of which vaccine is going to sell the highest or which vaccine is going to sell the lowest and stuff like it was a matter of sales it was more of a profitable business instead of a helping the people business and this is really like in any in, in any other industry, if it was an industry that related to terms of gaining money, I would under, be understandable. Like if it was an industry about music equipment or like furniture or something that didn't really affect a person that much that they can live with or without it, then yeah, sure, you can be profitable, you can do whatever you want. 
But in terms of a mental illness and a mental health industry, really toying with people and their sole purpose being money or quote-unquote medical advancements, but it's not really medical advancements because the history views person B as the person who redefined psychology. But did he redefine psych? I mean, he did redefine psychology, but he definitely didn't redefine it in the right way. We don't know if he did it on purpose. Again, I keep saying we don't know if he did it on purpose, but it was definitely misused down the line. Like the guy who created the gun. Of course, he didn't create it to kill people, but it was definitely used to kill people. Now, who is to blame for that? Is it the guy who created the gun or the guy who used the gun? That's for you to interpret it. But in the end, it's all just a big money scheme. And so I'd like to thank you if you've listened this far. I mean, like, if, if before I end the episode, nowadays, nowadays, because of the influx and the massive flow of people with mental illness and mental disorders, <clears throat> pharmaceutical companies have sort of come up with newer medications with sort of reduced dose medications with sort of like, um, how do I say this? The light version of their medicine for various mental symptoms. I mean, yes, this is true. Yeah, so that the person with the right symptoms gets diagnosed with the right medications. But in the end of the day, it's still a selling point. It's like, oh, you're not this, but you're actually this. And so it contributes to, again, the human sense of belonging. And again, contributes to the wallets of the psychiatrist and the therapist and 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 that. Now, I also purposefully mentioned psychiatrists only because therapists is a different word. A therapist is someone who helps therapeutically, right? He doesn't have the, he might or might not, he, they don't have the proper like psychological knowledge. If a friend listens to you and helps you, that's considered a therapist, right? Because technically he did a therapeutic on you. He was a bit therapeutic. He had a therapeutic effect on you. But a psychiatrist is someone who actually studies psychology and the human psychic and everything that's related to them. So a therapist, a psychiatrist is a therapist, but a therapist is not a psychiatrist. I feel like that sort of helped. But yeah, therapists, they can be anyone, but they're also guilty of the same thing. And so, be careful of what you read and what you do and chances are you have a plethora of disorders if you've reached this far thank you for listening and as always this is your host capilano aka chutney follow me on instagram chutney underscore gyllenhaal go to my email if you want to add suggestions if you want me to add stuff now the reason this podcast is called the blender because i sort of i didn't have a sort of name but i thought that the podcast doesn't have a certain genre, doesn't have a certain topic of where it's going. It's just random culmination of thoughts that come to my mind. And I thought, what else to name it than Blender? The Blender was a really nice name for it. I was like, sure, why not? It's a really good name. And I went for it. And I'm really happy about it. And so thank you for listening again. This was episode one. And thank you. Good night.